Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. This week, proud to welcome back onto the podcast, Josh Martin. Josh, brought you on this week um, because in, in an effort to attempt to gamify this show and figure out new, more entertaining ways to have conversations about movies, uh, you and I, I think, have some differing opinions on what kind of wound up being the, the two big releases of the last week, um, that being Jungle Cruise, the Disney live-action adventure movie starring Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt and loosely based off of the uh, theme park ride of the same name and uh, The Green Knight the new film from David Lowry starring Dev Patel is kind of a reimagining of the tale of Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. Um, first of all, just, just welcome, welcome to have you back. It's, it's not been that long. So yeah, I'm excited to be on the, uh, the incidental first take Stephen A. Smith versus Max Kellerman episode of the latest. Um, incidentally, we're not, we're not planning out our opinions here. Uh, like Jesse said, we just happen to have very, very different takes on these two films. This is Film Inquiry's Crossfire. That's what this is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's get into it. So let's maybe first talk about The Green Knight, which I okay. feel like even though Jungle Cruise was the top of the box office this past weekend, I feel like Green Knight is, at least in the circles you and I travel in, this was oh, clearly yeah. the the big event movie of the the weekend uh, this is a very very hotly anticipated movie that was supposed to come out spring of 2020 i believe and yeah got sometime pushed in may back. i believe yeah may um, 2020 yeah so i kind of love this movie um i know you're not as big of a fan i haven't read your review because i wanted to hear your take fresh okay on this on, on this podcast so i'm gonna toss the ball to you and you just give me your honest thoughts on this movie and then i'll maybe tell you why i think it's easily the best movie of the year thus far in my opinion okay but we'll go from there sounds good yeah so i think first it's worth um for anyone who uh is like perhaps vaguely outraged by uh, my opinion i'm just kidding no one's really upset but um uh, I am not, generally speaking, a uh, David Lowry fan. I haven't really liked uh, any of his uh, films so far. Um, and I find that actually kind of fascinating. He's kind of one of uh, film Twitter's, uh, you know, pet directors that everybody kind of loves. Um, he started his career with uh, Ain't Them Bodies Saints, an indie film, which I actually have not seen. Um, but he's sort of bounced all over the map. Uh he did a ghost story a few years ago, uh, did the Disney vehicle, Pete's Dragon. Uh, he's also doing Peter Pan and Wendy for Disney, uh, did Old Man and the Gun with Robert Redford. Um, he's a very interesting filmmaker and a great visual stylist. Um, but I, I find him as an actual filmmaker and storyteller uh, sort of lacking in some ways. Um, and Green Knight to me is... Uh, sort of uh, indicative of, of a lot of the problems I have with Lowry uh, as an auteur. He clearly puts a lot of thought into the visuals. Uh, clearly, um, you know, he's, he's working with a similar set of themes, you know, an investigation into stories, myths, narrative, 
Um, you know, uh, I've talked with a lot of friends about sort of the way that um, this plays with the hero's journey and stuff like that. Um, and so, you know, he's clearly an auteur in a lot of ways. Um, where I find this film uh, to be, you know, somewhere less than satisfying is I think, um, you know, Lowry comes close to uh, the, this sort of school of uh, long take, sort of deliberate slowness. He's almost sort of a, an American slow cinema director. And I was actually reading an interview in Thrillist today where he talks about um, Belatar, Andre Tarkovsky, Gus Van Sant as sort of influences for the style of filmmaking that he likes. Um, but whereas that style comes off as rather natural uh, to those filmmakers and to those who sort of employ the slow cinema aesthetic, um, with Lowry, I find that it all sort of starts to feel like this sort of mannered, self-conscious affectation um, where, you know, things are happening, but I'm not sure that there's uh, underlying motivation and emotion. Um, for long stretches, this is a very sort of surreal, very strange film. Uh, but I feel like there's rarely, um, you know, real emotions provoked by the imagery um, you know, if we're, I've had some debates with folks about whether this is really a surrealist film or not. Um, but a lot of people have called it surreal, uh, and hypnotic in the way that surrealism can kind of be sometimes. Um, but I, I didn't necessarily feel that, you know, compared to somebody like a David Lynch or a Louis Bunuel or, uh, even like Yorgos Lanthimos, um, in the sort of strange happenings, there's always a sort of emotional underpinning. Uh, and for me, you know, whether that's, some absurd thing that I'm laughing at, whether that's, um, you know, something that terrifies me, whether it's this feeling of dread or the uncanny, there's flashes of that in the green night. Um, but the, the middle section is what really drags the film down for me. Um, and I, I feel like it, it's just sort of, um, you know, playing with, uh, various situations and scenarios uh, in this very heavily stylized, vaguely postmodern way, uh, but without real um, emotion sort of under the surface. I think its themes are interesting. I think what it's trying to do is fascinating. Uh, but in the end, I, I find it to be a little bit of, I find it to be a little empty. Uh, that's my, that's sort of my, my take on the film. Um, and I've read a lot of, of opposing takes and I, um, and it, I think there's definitely a, a, a sort of experiential subjectivity uh, here with this film that, there isn't, you know, in every film where there's sort of a, a critical divide. Um, I think, you know, you're either sort of drawn in by this film's world or you're not. Um, I find my, found myself a little distanced from the material. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll kind of agree that this is sort of a like, this is a vibe movie of you. You've got to get on its wavelength. Otherwise you're, you're not going to be along for the ride. But um, because this is uh, our version of crossfire, I have to tell you you're wrong, Josh. And let me kick you off of your band. You can't ever come back. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I just sort of had fundamentally the, the opposite reaction to you. Yeah. Of I, I enjoyed, and I think it's interesting you bring up not being a fan of Larry. Cause I was sort of, um, I don't know. I'm still sort of undecided on him as a filmmaker just because while I agree with you, a lot of his movies have this sort of um, folksy... Uh, you mentioning, like, he's clearly interested in, like, these stories that almost feel like they're passed on generations and generations that are tall tales that are myths. Exactly. 
Um, urban legends, myths, stories. Um, you're absolutely right. This is all, and and certainly, you know, um, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, I was just gonna say, uh, he, you know, his first two films, Anthem Body Saints and Pete's Dragon. I I know lots of people who adore those movies. They they just like did nothing for me. Um, I agree. But well, the, the second the, one, yeah. <laughs> but the two that like really, um, you know, the two he did after that, a ghost story, which is, if you think this movie is strange and surreal, yeah. um, that movie is like close to avant-garde in 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 sections and um i really enjoyed the old man in the gun just as sort of like a shaggy hangout movie like a final movie star vehicle for robert redford that's my favorite of his films for sure but this movie i think it's worth putting it in context of i read a I, i had read the the sort of poem the the tale of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which is this one of the more famous Arthurian legends. Um, it is also uh, this text that is caught up in all of these this ambiguity and English scholars and literary majors and you know people including J.R.R. Tolkien, including Tolkien, Tol- including Tolkien <laughs> you can tell how late it is including Tolkien have like read into their own and deconstructed this story and found their own um interesting avenues as to what it is saying and what it is trying to explore yeah. and so it is this sort of like curious text that is like very intimidating and is sort of distant in a way but i think you you once once you sort of uh if you can become sort of enveloped by its its ambiguity and it's how kind of knotted it is and contradicting it can be then you can find all these interesting avenues to explore and that's i think ultimately the experience i had with the movie of i i found it to be this both this this visual feast of I think few other movies I've seen this year other than maybe like, you know, a movie we talked about last week on the show when Hunter Howman guessed that I know you also enjoyed hashtag team old. Yes. Old, old is good. <laughs> we need to, we need to reinforce that again, but this is just another movie where I, I felt like I was in total control and watching someone's full vision, just sort of, um, erupt over the screen and I was sort of hypnotized and caught up in this uh, you know this strange fantasy world that Lowry had concocted but I also think like the movie allows you to read into all of the different stuff that you know people have written about the the poem over the years I mean you can read it as this um, story about the kind of duel between christian faith and pagan faith you can also uh read into it as you know a deconstruction of gender norms and the roles of men and women in medieval society um i i think it's pretty clearly it is it is about like what does it mean to be a knight and what does it mean to have honor to have chivalry um the the sir gowan character played by dev patel who i i think is quite wonderful in the movie i mean this isn't really a movie with like that that is sort of 
uh, sort of has major performances in it, but I think he is very effectively cast, and there's something about his his youthfulness that I think is uh, very compelling in this role. And I think what Lowry is trying to do is this the story about someone who is born into a place of privilege, but also wants to achieve this this kind of materialistic um, status of being a knight and wants to, um, you know, ha- has these very literal, tangible ideas about what does that mean? What does that mean to kind of have that kind of respect and to have that kind of authority in the room? And he puts himself in this situation where if you if you don't if you're not familiar with the story essentially king arthur and his his knights of the round table sir gowan is king arthur's nephew they are sitting around having a christmas feast all of a sudden a giant green knight (laughs) um waltzes into the room essentially offers up a game where one of the knights will strike him and in one year's time, he will um, return the blow back. And so Sir Gowan, I don't think I'm spoiling anything. This is a very, very old <laughs> story from medieval times. Yeah. Sir Gowan chops the knight's head off. And then the rest of the story becomes, well, what what is Sir Gowan's duty? Is, is And him having to face the possibility of like, do I have to face this mysterious knight? person yeah, in order it, to get my head chopped off important point here uh, after he cuts the knight's head off the knight picks his head back up and laughs uh so he can kill him um and so yeah so he has to sort of determine whether he will uh come back in a year or not and uh, face him and uh the first 30 minutes of this movie as well as maybe the last uh 20 or so are my favorite parts of it i think you know what well, there's a great scene with uh gowan and uh, arthur who's played by uh, sean harris um, from the last two Mission Impossible movies. Um, and, you know, it sets up the themes really well because he's asking, uh, Arthur's asking Gowan, tell me a tale, tell me a story of, of some adventure you've done. And, and Gowan's like, I have none. So sets up the motivation very well. He clearly wants to sort of ascend to this legendary status. Uh, and he does. And uh, the film takes that in some interesting ways. Um, and I, I do like, because uh, I've, you know, so I think, having a sort of dissenting opinion on this um, puts me in a strange situation, but I do really admire uh, its ambition and most of all, the fact that it's gotten folks talking. Um, I've had some great conversations about this movie uh, better than many I've had the whole year about um, any other film. Um, and I do think it's fascinating to see the the sort of diverse um, interpretations of the ending. Um, I was back to that thrillist interview um, I was interested to see Lowry frame it as a happy ending. Um, I guess we, I won't go into spoilers too much, um, but the film is very much to me about a sort of, um, you know, the, the, what the quest for the quest for honor or heroism or legendary status, um, you know, it's kind of a dead end. It doesn't necessarily lead to anything great uh, for Gowan in the end. Um, it does really have this sort of, um, wonderful mic drop or middle finger, depending on who you uh, ask, uh, ending um, that's sort of very sudden. Um, you think it's going a few different directions and then it circles back around. Um, yeah, but it, I mean, I, I yeah. found the ending personally like really beautiful and, and moving in a strange way of like, the, you know, the thing, 
maybe this will be a little bit of a spoiler, but like the thing it reminded me immediately of is kind of the conclusion of Martin Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ, which maybe that's a, a bit of a, a spoiler into to sort of what happens in in this, but sort of showing this um yeah, I'll I'll just kind of leave it there and you know, if you're that much of a cinephile, you can probably put two and two together. But I and Yeah, if you've seen the film, go read um uh uh Alyssa Wilkinson's piece on it touches on the ending, touches on the mythology. Um further like if you're also like if you're baffled by why I don't like this movie and you're listening to this podcast, um very, very limited familiarity with the source material. Um I, I didn't really know much about the i mean i know vaguely arthurian uh legends and i knew the contour of the story um but did not know that much about it and so things that happen um some of the bizarre things that happen probably felt even more bizarre to me um but yeah the, the last temptation of christ parallel is one that's been raised and that is also one of my scorsese omissions so um the more i talk about this movie combined with, with my like lowry like vaguely lowry agnostic stance i'm like you know maybe no one should listen to me at all on this one but um you know have have to be honest in my feelings about what i watched and uh, uh but curious as i've said to some people to revisit uh knowing this about the source material perhaps revisiting um you know or checking out uh, last patient of christ for the first time um my my qualms with lowry as a filmmaker still stand and i don't think those will fully go away um, that's kind of what I like about like auteurism too. It's like you can find directors whose style you always like, and you can find a few where you're like, I really do not vibe with what you're doing. Uh, and you were totally right earlier in calling this a vibe movie. So, anyways, this is me washing my hands of my opinion, uh, but also at the same time doubling down. So, you know, no, I mean, I think what we're demonstrating is it's it's a great movie to to ar- to argue over and to unpack and discuss. And I like I. I can't think of it probably was like 2019 the last time that there was something that offered this much unpacking of like what what does it mean how do, how do you feel about its style um you know the the last thing I'd mention is I think into my theory of what it all means and um you mentioned kind of the middle of the movie which really does take on this sort of like road movie structure of Gowan um, encountering all these like various different characters on the road. And I think each one of those scenarios offers up a, a different kind of test about his, um, you know, his worth as a knight and how well he upholds those, the, that knightly honor and that knightly image. Um, you know, there's one in particular, um, you know, involving a, I, I believe it's a lord played by Joel Edgerton and his um, wife played by Alicia Vikander, who in a double I, role. I, I, I will just say plays multiple roles in the movie, but I, I thought the way that that it it is on the nose, but I thought the way that that um, part of the story sort of presented itself was kind of like that was really the the key piece that it unlocked it for me of like oh th- this is all about like the he, he is going on this quest in order to sort of prove himself as a knight, but keeps getting these little bumps along the way that are um, him having to to really test himself and in many ways fail to understand like what it is a, a knight is and what it means to have honor and chivalry and all of yeah. these things that we think of 
and then that all culminates in um you know to be vague again this very very moving in my opinion and very very like visually stunning um climactic sequence that kind of happens when he finally you know enters the the green temple where this um kind of like mythological knight lives um another interesting thing i think you can read into this that i don't think is quite in the actual text but i think lowry adds is there's an environmental allegory to here i mean i don't think it's any sort of spoiler if you've seen the trailers of the green knight is is looks like a a wood like wooden creature he looks like a giant tree man he looks like if you ever go to like the renaissance festival anywhere there's there's those like weird tree people that are always walking around on stilts and he looks like one of those and there's there's so many kind of uh long shots of dev patel riding along landscapes that are being burned and torched and so i i think there's a very easy kind of environmental allegory of like is the green knight representing kind of like mother nature sort of reclaiming um the earth over the the destruction of man but i i don't there's just i'm really excited to hopefully see it again um sometime you know later this year and it's it's kind of a movie in the last couple days since i've seen it that i have not been able to stop thinking about and i think it's just like so rich for interpretation but um like i said for me personally also offered this kind of like visual feast and and this sort of sense of seeing like a true um uncompromised vision that i've been uh, a bit a bit lacking this year um even though i've seen some good movies this year that's that's been something i've been truly lacking yeah, no, and I mean, we were talking about old earlier, and even that one's less fun to talk about because pretty much everyone agrees on what the assets and what the deficiencies of that film are. If we think up to the ending, good. Ending, not so good. Anyways, um, yeah, and I, I think, you know, whether you're a Lowry fan or a Lowry skeptic like myself, um, I don't think there's any denying that um, he is a sort of visionary filmmaker, um, you know, uh, and really that's especially, and he does sort of bring his set of thematic preoccupations and, and style, uh, to each and every film. Um, for me, I, I, the, the, you know, effectiveness of that style still in question for, for me. Um, I think, you know, for such a visual filmmaker, he does have this, um, very peculiar reliance on, uh extended bouts of like monologue like theme explaining um that you know can be a little strange i think for a lot of people the make or break point in ghost story um is not actually the the very famous rooney mara pie eating scene which i think is great and i think that's his best um sort of employment of duration and the long take which seems to be a, a specific visual strategy for him I think a lot for a lot of people, at least from what I've read around in my own experience, uh, the make or break point is this long, like monologue that Will Oldham delivers later. I'd in agree. That it's film. the weakest part of that movie, which I, for the most part, really, really love. Yeah, and so for me, that's the point where it goes from um, this really enchanting, um, strange experience to something where I'm like, okay, um, this film it's not quite as much of a problem, but he does fall back on that same strategy again, where it's Alicia Vikander. Uh, delivering a monologue that kind of sums up um, both the sort of nobility and futility of Gowan's quest. Uh, like I said, it's not as apparent in part because uh, the Green Knight isn't quite as radical as a ghost story is for its first 
you know, 50 minutes or so. Ghost Story really, like you said, pushes into the uh, sort of experimental territory with its sort of sparseness uh, and slowness. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm interested to revisit this film, knowing a little bit more about the material um, and talking with other people, I think, has brought me ideas that uh, has brought in ideas that I didn't really initially consider. Um, I still wonder if there's really much emotion um, of any kind underpinning these really fabulous, well-crafted images. Uh, and I still think Lowry's style uh, is a bit too self-conscious about itself um, and that his, uh, you know, ultimate directorial aims can kind of end up a little jumbled uh, somewhere between these long takes, um, these sort of, you know, temporal games where things are happening at different speeds, almost in like, a, you know, one thing's someone's walking forward and you get a flashback at the same time. Um, and also lots of, uh, of, you know, montages as well, some of which work really well. I like the ending of this, even though I kind of figured out where I was going beforehand. Um, but I think it's, you know, I, I do think Lowry's an interesting filmmaker um, and he's clearly making films uh, that are unmistakably his, uh, that, you know, uh, in a very diverse set of modes, um, he makes David Lowry films and there are not many filmmakers who, uh, do that. I mean, I was thinking, cause we were talking about sort of singular, uh, works of art by a sort of visionary director this year. I mean, the one that comes to mind for me, most of all is uh, Barry Jenkins underground railroad, which feels yep. like yep. Barry Jenkins was given money and say, go just indulge. Uh, and not that it's a self-indulgent work, but it, it does have these sort of distinctly uh, Jenkins flourishes. Um, and, you know, I think it's an interesting comparison because, you know, David Lowry has managed to, um, you know, maintain his style even while working within the, the Disney mode of, you know, uh, Pete's Dragon. We haven't seen Peter Pan and Wendy yet, though. I imagine there's no reason that I, I can't imagine it'll be uh, in a similar vein. But Pete's Dragon is a very low key uh, film. It's, you know, fairly CGI light. Um, you know, it's very sort of self-consciously about, um, you know, stories and fables and this sort of relationship between a young boy and his dragon. And like you said, it has this sort of, um, you know, rustic old-fashioned this i can't remember the word you used earlier but there's there is a sort of deliberate uh aesthetic in play there um and you know lowry maintained that even while working within the 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 disney machine um and he's likely to maintain it again and uh you know barry jenkins is about to go off and, and make a disney film um and i wonder to what extent you know his vision will sort of remain in that regard but um you know if uh, lowry is sort of a you know, whether you love his films or not, he is sort of the poster child for what we all say we want when it's like, okay, go do the Disney schlock and then come back over here and make, you know, movies that are unmistakably yours, um, that indulge your stylistic quirks and your, um, you know, themes that you're interested in. Uh, and so for that, in that regard, I highly applaud Green Knight. I am looking forward to revisiting at some point. Um, I am still sort of doubtful of Lowry's skills as a filmmaker and some of the decisions made here um, feel a little too self-conscious for me to ever be like, oh yeah, he's really sort of engaging, uh, you know, slow cinema or this sort of mythic 
take the way that I want him to. Um, but it's very interesting, and I love talking about it. So that is well, my let's, that let's, is my let's stance move on, on the from Green someone Knight. who, uh, you know, is clearly doing uh, building a career off of doing one for me, one for you with with Disney, and um, actually talk about a Disney movie, which is. Which is Jungle Cruise. Um, yeah. A movie you found some enjoyment in. I did, and yeah. And I um, rolled my, went from rolling my eyes at pretty hard to um, chuckling a couple times. I'll have to talk about my boy Jesse Plemons. Um, <laughs> the one thing in this movie I liked. Um, I, 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 I really kind of detested this, this whole movie. And um, went from, I think, the first... I guess first half it's a pretty long movie which is it is yeah it's like it's way over two hours is it almost two and a half hours I it felt like it was like two two seven I think okay okay so that's not that bad but so I I mean the first half of this feeling like if if the green knight is an example and I'm about to sound so snobbish but if the green knight (laughs) is an example of like this is this is whether you like it or not this is someone's this is someone's vision this this is coming like purely from one's own aesthetic decisions and um you know voice as a filmmaker to this is jungle cruise to me is really just like another poster child for like a movie that feels like it was made in a boardroom and all of the um, character archetypes, all of the story decisions, all of the um, visual references, just all felt so calculated in a way that, um, you know, it almost, it. I was kind of being Debbie Downer earlier this summer. I remember when Hunter Howman was on and talking about uh, the Cruella movie and I just had my like vomit comment of like, I... It's not punk Disney. Like, stop. You you can't. You cannot. <laughs> you can't yeah. fool me of, like, I know what this is. And, like, you're not going to tell me. Like, in the case of Jungle Cruise, I'm rambling a little bit. But it's like, you didn't make African Queen. I know you're trying to make me think you made, like, an old school adventure movie. But this is not. This, this to me, felt like something that was made in a boardroom. And every decision feels like it is there for a very calculated purpose and not a sort of calculated in terms of entertainment purpose. It is to sort of either add a sheen of uh, a sort of like invisible sheen of respectability or, you know, something that I'll, I'll, something like, um, you know, there is a, a character in this movie who is, we is, we learn is gay, but that revelation really only serves. So, like the Emily Blunt character, you can be like, oh, well, she's a good person because of course she's nice to the gay person. And and it's like, that is the only function for that character that I saw and was just sort of like, this is, this is Disney trying to like have its, you know, trying to sort of pat itself on the back while also like not really doing anything. And yeah. then in the second half of the movie, I just thought it turned into like an ugly looking movie that i you know i we have to talk about the effect shots in this movie which yeah. i thought were 
pretty cringy in in a lot of places um so i i don't know i just found it like a really i wanted to like it as much as like you know the idea of even though it is based off of this very cheesy ride that i know few people who actually like which another aspect of this movie i'm curious to talk about is like this movie does have a little bit of a chip on its shoulder of being like hey you know how great the Jungle Cruise ride is? And the entire time I was watching, I was like, the Jungle Cruise ride sucks. No one likes the Jungle Cruise ride. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I just found it un- unpleasant. And like I said, I think as it sort of evol- devolves into its Pirates of the Caribbean-esque ripoff, which this really does seem like Disney saying, we want to make more Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but we're not really sure we want to tangle with the Johnny Depp of it all anymore. Let's rebrand as Jungle Cruise but we get another like really ugly looking pirate sequel essentially. Yeah. Go make that Margot Robbie pirates movie, Disney. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, uh this is another one where I, uh, clearly, uh, like understand and agree or, or at least I'm sympathetic to, uh, everything you, you just said. Um, you know, I know some, uh, queer critics and gay critics who actually don't, you know, mind the Jack Whitehall McGregor character. Um, I personally, you know, found that moment. Uh, it's handled so euphemistically that I, I don't think there's really much uh, at stake for Disney in it. And so uh, I just maybe it of... wouldn't have, have jumped out to me if not for like, it feels like this happens in every movie. There's like the like four millisecond shot of like two people kissing and Disney's like, look we broke a barrier there and it's like well the, the, you, yeah. that's not a main character you're not you can't the, the joe russo it just feels like in, this happens uh, in like every movie it, it seems like and that's why it jumped out to me you're right i mean it's all part of disney's sort of strange um you know strategy to sort of try to act like they're you know like you said this happened like they're progressive because this happens with every movie you're right it happened with avengers endgame uh it happened with cruella it happened with beauty and the beast um it's happening now with jungle cruise and they always try to make a discourse out of it and it never goes the way they want uh they want it to and so yeah um but that's not really my um sort of topic to have a super strong opinion on so i did find it to be a sort of interesting uh moment and i've been interested in the takes on it um i uh, as for the film itself um the way, way I framed it in my review was uh, I said, yeah, you know, it's either um, paying homage to or ripping off uh, and your opinion and enjoyment of the film is solely dependent on whether you think it's an homage or a ripoff. Um, but yeah, I mean, so many films. I mean, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, you got Jesse Plemons doing uh, German, you know, shtick like it's raiders of the lost ark he's doing uh there's a the mummy in there with the main group dynamic there's african queen there's a little bit of like old screwball comedy um you know so there's a lot of just influences put together um and you know i am probably in some ways uh grading on a curve here a little bit um it, it, like there's definitely the cgi of it all uh, is a real problem. Uh, it's a significant issue. Um, it, it looks like shit in a lot of cases. There's no like way I can mince words on it. Um, but I don't. I don't think of it as an issue so uh, innate to this film 
that I'm willing to knock this one in particular for it. I think all of Disney's house CGI looks like garbage these days. Um, I guess this isn't Disney specifically, but uh, I remember seeing Spider-Man Far From Home, whatever the last one was, uh, in theaters. The, the Jake Gyllenhaal one. Yeah, and I thought that looked astonishingly cheap as well, uh, some of those effect shots. Um, you know, for whatever reason, it all looks worse than it did 10 years ago, and I think part of it's the abundance of it. Uh, part of it is, um, you know, certain stylistic choices that are being made to make it look all more cartoony i will give this film credit for being more colorful at times but that color comes with a a bit of a a plasticky sheen um and so for anyone who that sinks the movie for can't blame them at all because it definitely uh is a a pervasive issue in the second half uh yeah there's there's a whole sequence in the climax that is like set in underneath this like like pink illuminated tree or something like that and the the way that the way the actors are incorporated with the cgi backdrop as well as this sort of like artificial color which i i think could be a potentially like really like gorgeous um sequence just sort of feels like you know emily blunt standing in front of a green screen in Atlanta, Georgia, pretty much where I yeah. am right now. <laughs> you would think that, I mean, once again, it all comes down to economics, but this film costs $200 million. It's like, go to the think, jungle. You would think at some point that they would realize that, you know, every time one of these CGI fests come out, it gets roundly criticized in the press. People don't like it. People complain about it. And whenever you have something shot on real locations that looks like a real movie people applaud it and typically they cost less or the same i mean christopher nolan is able to do some stuff on you know relatively minor budget i mean compared to some of these films that cost 300 million i mean dunkirk was like 165 and that was all real stuff and that is a more minimalistic film and not a great comparison and it probably came to mind just because i'm looking at the poster in my room but you know uh yeah i mean so it's frustrating Okay, but to once again, this is I have a different opinion of Jungle Cruise. I skewed positive on it, so I'll say why. Um, unfortunately, I think I've accepted that we have to do the IP charade in Hollywood. This is the way it's going to go. We're going to be stuck with adaptations of theme park rides, adaptations of obscure comic books. Uh, you know, eight million John Wick ripoffs. I don't know if anyone saw Gunpowder Milkshake, but that is my worst of the year so far. Um, I, and, and so, you know, we keep doing, uh, I guess that's not really IP, but we all know what IP it's ripping off. Um, and so, you know, everything is this interconnected universe. Everything is teasing for sequels. Uh, this is not new, but it's getting worse. Um, and Jungle Cruise is probably going to have a sequel too. Uh, and it, it's very clearly Craven IP management, uh, by Disney. It's, you know, Hey, we got this theme park ride and pirates worked. Uh, uh, well, I mean, uh, Haunted Mansion and Country Bears and Tomorrowland didn't, but, uh, nobody remembers those. So, uh, let's do another one. Uh, and you know, we'll throw in all these references where, where I give the film a little slack is that it does feel in its own sort of hodgepodgey way, um, like a, a really sort of old school throwback blockbuster, 
Um, you know, even if they do a sequel, there's not really like an overt sequel tease. There's not really this sort of uh, extravagant world building. Uh, it really does feel sort of simple uh, for a blockbuster. And you just to be just, you know, blunt about it, it rips off things I like. Uh, I would rather see, you know, more $200 million movies that try to emulate the African queen than not. Um, you know, like I said, it's probably uh, grading on a curve a little bit. And I'm probably understating how much I enjoyed the first half of this movie. Um, it does slow down at a certain point, which I appreciated. The climax is sloppy CGI and kind of hard to, um, you know, put together. It ends on a weaker note than I anticipated. Um, but I really enjoyed the sort of, um, you know, old school chase scenes and sort of uh, comedic destruction. There's some sort of wacky editing choices. Um, I talk about this and I, I have review. If you're curious of reading my full thoughts, I have reviews of both uh, this and green Knight at uh, over at inside the film room. So go check those out for more cogent thoughts than what I'm rambling here. Um, there's some bizarre editing choices in this movie. Uh, there is a, like a scene at a bar with Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson and it's clearly trying to be like screwball banter. Uh, and there's like 80 cuts where it's like, okay, Emily Blunt, all right, rock, back and forth. And I'm just like, okay, just like, does somebody know how to like, just throw like a wide shot in there? It's um, very clear. Like we got a lot of coverage and we just got to like use everything. <laughs> exactly. Like go, go back to the, that master shot and have the banter back and forth in one image in the frame. It's like, yeah. So there's frustrations, but also, uh, you know, momentary pleasures. Some of the jokes work. Um, a lot of the action works. It has this sort of, uh, you know, relentless pace and spirit that I enjoyed. Um, I just liked that it was sort of a, a very sort of rock solid uh, genre movie. Um, it's Achilles heel is its reliance on the CGI. It's just, I mean, I don't want to seem like I'm knocking cgi artists too much that's like the worst protected labor field in all of hollywood it's like they're asked to do so much and uh it's a totally thankless position because most people just end up critiquing it um but that's not they're not who i'm critiquing i'm critiquing the filmmakers and disney for uh their continual reliance on all this stuff and you know i'm sure a lot of this was uh you know done in post and on blue screen and all Look, that there's there's ways to do it great like you know i'll throw a, a, a disney a bone of like you know the mandalorian is a show that shoots a lot with these you know i forget the name of them but those specialized like backdrops that um mm. you know change with the environment so the actor is basically just sort of like walking in place right in front of these this backdrop that changes and like that that show looks great that show looks fantastic and it, yeah. i think the problem is just like this this movie just looks bad and looks really cheap in places um i i also it's it's interesting you bringing up like the you know the editing in that one scene and and it got me thinking because like you know emily blunt and dwayne johnson are both like very charming people in my opinion and yeah. and six months ago if you have told me like would those two work as like a romance on screen, I would maybe kind of shrug and be like, sure, let's find out. I mean, they're both yeah. charming. How bad could it be? But like, they don't, they don't have any chemistry here in my opinion. And I wonder how much of it is just sort of like a miscalculation 
um, you know, on the, the people who made this, whether it was Disney, whether it was, you know, filmmaker or uh, whoever it was that, that got them cast together, whether it was just sort of a like, ah, something that might be good on paper that just actually doesn't doesn't work when you see it play out on screen or whether there's sort of like very specific choices and how the movie is cut and edited together that maybe like is is hurting them and hurting any potential chemistry that they would have together as stars yeah i think emily blunt is wonderful in this movie and i don't think the rock is bad um i am sort of ambivalent on the chemistry i, I didn't really buy the romance angle there is a, a, a sort of strange twist um in, in this movie that takes it from being great fun to being just kind of okay uh at least in my uh, at least in my opinion um what i'll say about it, the it rock, took me yeah. from being like okay and to, to yeah. wait what <laughs> <laughs> anyways we'll leave that one sort of it, it kind of does come out of nowhere um I will say, and I wrote about this in my review, um, I am not like anti Dwayne Johnson. Like I know some people who are just like, oh, Dwayne Johnson is like, I do think it's like he is one of the few remaining movie stars. He's good. Um, I do really respect that he gets, um, you know, he gets these very sort of simplistic uh, and not in a bad way, old fashioned star vehicles greenlit. I, I know these are not considered like his like peak movies, but like, skyscraper is a good diehard ripoff you know that's all it aspires to be and it doesn't try to be anything more and it's good at being that uh, rampage is a fun little monster movie he makes uh fun dumb stuff with no aspirations part of the reason that i sort of embrace this as well is it's sort of um it's lack of uh it doesn't take itself too seriously um it's never really sort of you know beyond some of the you know perhaps the um I don't know where I'm going with this, but it doesn't, you know, a lot of the Marvel films recently uh, and, and part of this, I'm, I'm reading from outside the text itself. You know, one can watch the the Marvel stuff and, and you know, a lot of it uh, isn't really, you know, trying to. But the filmmakers and the fans always have to try to convince us that it's more than what it is of like, oh, you know, Avengers Endgame was influenced by Michelangelo Antonioni and, you know, Logan was like an Ozu film and, you know, uh, uh, WandaVision is this very stirring meditation on grief and it's just like, okay, come on. Um, and, and this film doesn't try to do that. I don't know of a single Dwayne Johnson fan or a film that really has tried to sort of go, at least not none of his action vehicles. Um, and it seems, seems contradictory of me to want um, a more uh, intelligent, popular cinema, and yet applaud films that have like just like really baseline expectations. But I'm sorry, I can never take it seriously when the you know certain um, films are so explicit. And there's no like it's not like in the 40s and 50s where they're like smuggling it in. It's like they come right out and tell you what it's about. And that's been my my major hesitation with Marvel recently. Anyways, so Dwayne Johnson is is a, a very solid movie star for me. Uh, on paper, he is so miscast here. Um, it, on paper, at least, I think in practice he stretches his talents enough for it to passably work. But he's supposed to be like Humphrey Bogart in the African Queen. Who, um, for any listeners who haven't uh, seen that film, Bogart's like this. You know, he's like skinny and lost a bunch of weight he lives in the jungle he's dirty and he, he's like yeah, exactly he's, like he's, a little he's river got rat. like this this stubble all over his face um you know he's kind of uh, uh you know just like 
run down, not in great physical shape. Um, the rock remains a superhuman specimen, no matter where, I mean, he's one of the most buff men in the world. Um, you know, an incredible, uh, incredible athlete and incredible uh sort of force of nature um and it's like you know i i don't really i mean there's a, i swear there's a line of dialogue in this movie where he like says i have to keep money so i can eat this week and it's like <laughs> come on like i know you're on a meal plan Dwayne. you tweeted about it all the time um so i, I know don't your think, jaguar and, is keeping protein shakes underneath that yeah, boat. Exactly. maybe that's that's what you need to cut back on um you know i mean it's and so on paper there's a big miscast there um and i think this forces you know he's a he's a good light comedic actor um he's good at uh sort of wink wink nudge nudge macho bullshit like you know he's very fun in the fast and furious movies uh as as luke hobbs this requires you know a little bit more of his comic persona it requires kind of a a Cary Grant kind of sort of light antagonism uh, and banter and almost, uh, you know, he has to play the romantic lead at a point, which I don't really think he's done before in, in glossing over his filmography. Um, this is sort of new territory. Um, and, you know, it's, you're right. I mean, it has its good moments and it has its sort of uh, stuff that doesn't work quite as well either. I think he pulls off, he's enough of a, uh, he's such a charming uh, actor that a lot of this works um you know it's a disney film so i shouldn't expect uh expect anything like really acidic or sort of biting i do wish there was a little bit more of that um you know like we were talking about with uh, bogart and hepburn and african queen you know there's that movie is about two people who kind of hate each other and have this sort of natural opposition eventually you know falling in love um and you know there's a little bit of, I mean, the, there's very little, I, I concur with people, there's very little real sexuality in Jungle Cruise. It's a Disney film. Uh, you know, the most we get is like tasteful kisses underwater, and that serves like a pragmatic purpose in the film. Meanwhile, African Queen, if I remember correctly, there's a scene where they're literally like pumping the boat up and down while they're talking, and it's like very clearly um none of you can see what i'm doing but uh and it's probably a good thing but it's very it's, it's erotic that, it's, that's that kind all of all coded sexual in. imagery um in the in the kind of way that old hollywood would do and and you know we don't really have that so um does the film help itself by inducing all these comparisons for me who likes all this stuff yes i love uh old school adventure films one film that I didn't cite in my review, but when I went afterwards, I was like, ah, yeah, that's definitely uh, Romancing the Stone with Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. Of course. There's, yeah. They're ripping off that as well. Um, you know, and so I like that kind of movie and I wish there was more of it instead of 8 billion superhero films, you know, so I kind of wanted to applaud this as a standalone. Uh, the director um, is a guy named uh, Jame Colette Serra. Uh, he's mostly sort of uh, done B movies and genre films. Um, I will leave. I'm, he actually has a very strong following uh, in like some auteurist circles of film Twitter. Uh, if you want kind of a debrief on that, I would go read uh, Adam Naiman's review of Jungle Cruise. Um, he was uh, skewed negative on the film, but uh, has interviewed Colette Serra before. Um, if, you're, if you're looking for some films he's made, um, Nonstop, The Commuter, 
run all night. So he makes a lot with Liam Neeson, the shallows. Um, so, you know, he's worked in these film genres before that sort of were Hollywood's bread and butter for years. Um, and, uh, and I think it's a good fit for like the adventure film. That's how I kind of felt about it. Uh, you know, working in that sort of straightforward genre movie sandbox, um, he's going to go make a superhero movie next. So all the stuff that I'm applauding jungle cruise for the fact that it's, you know, the standalone throwback blockbuster. Now he's going to go make black Adam with Dwayne Johnson, which does sound intriguing. And I do like Shazam more than I like most superhero films. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it's like I said in my review, the contradiction is like, I like old school Hollywood stuff. This also is just, you know, more IP and another uh, long advertisement for the mouse house, um, you know, so that's depressing. But yeah, I, 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 a, a valiant, night worthy uh, justification for um, or, you know, attempt to to reclaim Jungle Cruise. <laughs> but it's it's still it's still to me, uh, you know, Disney disney corporate movie making that wants me to think it's the african queen but i will say it, yeah again i will reiterate i enjoyed jesse plemons essentially doing like whatever weird klaus kinski impersonation <laughs> that he was doing that was fun i enjoyed that i wish i got more of that like he's, weirdness. he's something else in this film and i was glad he kind of gets like there's a point where they start having multiple villains that kind of gets a little lame. I kind of wanted uh, uh, Jesse Plemons to take center stage and all of it. Um, but, you know, yeah, he is very fun. And I, I've seen and people were right. I, I was probably hesitant to make that comparison at first because I was like, wait a minute. Like, are they doing like Herzog here a little bit? But other people have stretched and made that. And I think there really? is a little bit. I, yeah, I thought that was going to be like, least... I thought I was going to be making a stretch having to say that. No, but that's like I've what I people's... thought of. I've seen people talk about that, and also the fact that like the one of the other villains is named Aguirre. So yeah, I mean, oh I god, guess Herz- I'm I'm ending the podcast here. Herzog is a citation there. Yeah, I mean, not that people are saying that this is like uh, you know a complex meditation on madness in the jungle, but you know uh, there is a little bit of that in there. But yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm certainly every time I've read, um, you know, folks talk about. Uh, how little or you know the best you can say about it is that it's good fun and that it sort of uh takes from better movies and spins something new out of it um but all the criticism i think is is warranted and um you know i wish we could just get you know an old school adventure like this that didn't feel obligated to um you know there's like a whole there's a scene that's just the ride a movie like this that does not feel obligated to all to try and rebrand a crappy ride at disneyland as being actually like really cool yeah i mean i've been to i went to disneyland or disney world a lot as a kid i wrote this about once it's just bad puns and like old animatronics i mean it's a classic for folks who are really into the the sort of evolution of disney uh you know they even have the hippo like like he make he has a fake hippo that comes out of the water in his jungle cruise ride just and like some girl is like there's no hippos in the amazon which is like one of the like fun you know when you're like a kid and you're like making fun of the jungle cruise ride at disney you're like these animals aren't in the the amazon yeah rainforest or something and it's like they're trying to be like 
guys, we know. We know Jungle Cruise is actually super cool. You just don't understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think they're taking another stab at Haunted Mansion soon. That should be something. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. Well, Josh, um, thank you for, for stopping by this week. We probably won't hear from you for, for a while because you're you're moving out, out west. You're going to be a yeah. West Coast boy. I will be uh, at the uh, in the University of Southern California's uh, master's program in cinema and media studies. So I will be right in the the heart of L.A. for a while. So, yeah, I, I am going to be uh, heading out there and uh, doing some some stuff and hopefully going to some screenings and uh, figuring out how to keep up on on all the big movies. And so, uh, yeah, excited and uh, terrified of that, but it'll be fun and uh no better place to be than in the the center of where all the latest happens to borrow the title of the podcast yes well uh best of luck to you we look forward to having you back on the show hopefully this fall with the uh the arrival of uh, a lot of a lot of fun stuff a lot of fun stuff on the on the horizon hopefully the green knight will no longer feel like an oasis in the desert we will have more great movies to debate and talk about I, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm with you there.